you are in the right place. You are here and we are glad that you are here. So now, where are you? You're at the Suicide Prevention Show, where we're making suicide, especially teen suicide, a thing of the past. And I am your host of the show. I'm Jackie Simmons, and I am super excited you're here. We're going to be meeting with Karen Rolls, and we've been on a kick. We're talking about things that are practical, and in this case, we're going to apply practicality to something we don't usually talk about as being practical, which is an emotion of grief, which is very different than the emotional scale we were talking about earlier. So please welcome to the stage, Karen Rolls. Karen, are you there? All you have to do is unmute and come on camera. There you are. Yay! Yeah. Karen, I'm so excited to see you. I'm excited to see you too. And, and, and I just want to say that I love your Shouldville. I think that, um, you know, every life experience is really a blessing in disguise because we can use it to, um, you know, evolve and grow. So I appreciated what you said. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, the, the Shouldville conversation is one that we have often. And so we'll continue with that. Um, and we'll bring it into play because anyone who's going through what you deal with, what you help people through, they can end up in Shouldville. They can end up in places where they think that they should be feeling something or doing something other than what they're doing. So let's just, let's just start by telling people who you are and why did you jump ship from what you were doing to what you're doing now, because I love the why stories. So, right. thank you, Jackie. Um, I, you know, I think that grief is just rampant in our society today. And for myself, I worked as a nurse for over 26 years, and I, I, you know, I worked with thousands of people who were suffering from some sort of grief. And during my life, I've personally suffered. Um, many losses. So in 2018, I actually fell off a ladder and I, I broke my back. I had to have major surgery. So um, at that time, I, I knew that I couldn't go back to nursing as I knew it. And so I, I had to ask myself the tough question, what is my purpose here? And how can I use my gifts to help other people? So um, I decided to use the grief recovery method for myself and my own grief at falling and losing, you know, um, a piece of my career. And then um, I became so excited with my own um, development and my own experience that I just wanted to share it with other people because, you know, that's why I became a nurse to help people who suffer. And so um, at that time, I decided to become an advanced grief recovery specialist. And um, it's been such a wonderful journey working with folks who are suffering. All so, right, so I'm gonna just paint that picture just a little clearer for myself because what you just said was really profound. In two years, you went from practicing health professional as a nurse yes. through one of those life events, you know, you know we're going to call this a, a just a, a, a no fault incident, but it ch changed trajectory because it actually took something away from you. It did. 
And you yeah. were able to take and in only two years, go from that life-changing event mm -hmm. into using it in service to others. Yeah. All right, tell me more, I'm interested. Well, first I wanna acknowledge um, the work that you do is so important and it definitely links with the work that I do. And um, currently, you know, grief in society is so taboo. People feel like they're alone in their grief. They don't feel comfortable talking about the pain because they don't want to burden others or they want to appear strong. Um, and this really leads to a lot of isolation. And because, of, because they feel like nobody understands, they have an increased risk of suicide. You know, they're, they're alone, they're struggling, they, they're misunderstood. And I've been there myself, so I know what that feels like. And I also want to um, say that there are a lot of myths that go along with grief. Um, myths like don't feel bad, replace the loss, keep busy, you can grieve alone, just give it time and it'll go away, be strong for others. You know, those things, those statements were learned by our parents, our grandparents, and you know, our ancestors and have been passed down for years. Yes. Whoa, back that truck up a little bit. You just rattled off a whole list of things that many of them sounded really familiar to me. Yes. Okay. So, so let's just do that list again, a little slower. Sure. Okay. Sure. So what we're talking about here are the myths around grief. Yes. Okay, so for purposes of this discussion, yes. grief is simply acknowledgement of loss. It's the process of dealing with loss. Yes, right? it is. Okay. Yeah. And right, it's so taboo in our society, which is sad. It's taboo in our society to talk about loss. Yes, it is. I won't yes. argue that one. Okay. And that, well, leads, that um, just leaves everybody feeling isolated. And, you know, I'm hoping that the work that you do, the work that all of us and your panelists are doing, I'm hoping that that can make a difference. And I know that it can. So. Well, that's the whole point. So let's run through the mythology around grief. Because if we can allow ourselves to experience the changes of life, and they are losses, I mean, you know, Granted, I had a pet. I don't have that pet anymore. You know, it is part of the pathway of life, but how we handle it is not very well practiced to keep with that word. So what are the other mythologies? Because you listed a lot. Just say them again. Um, I, well, I just want to just acknowledge that you, you were talking about loss. There are so many, there are 42 different kinds of loss. You know, Whoa. and they can they can include pet okay. loss. So we're going to go back to the myths first because we okay. rattled those fast. So we'll slow right. down, give them the myths again, and then we'll go into this concept of forty-two different kinds of loss. Right. We're going to talk about loss leader. I'm now I'm worried. Okay, here we go. Go ahead. The 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 because what you said about the myths was yeah. this thing you can grieve alone, yeah. and that's a myth. Um, that's a myth. Um, people always you know, oftentimes people will say what they've learned, like, don't feel bad. Well, we can't just turn off our grief with a switch. And although they're well-meaning, it's not something that we can just do. Um, the other thing is they'll, they'll tell you to replace a loss. I had a, a client recently tell me that her 
husband passed a year and a half ago and she's feeling pressured by friends to go out and date. Um, Ooh, like get another pet. Yes, exactly. And that, you know, a person just can't be replaced and grief has to be processed. Um, the other thing, like just give it time. Um, you know, that's just another empty, empty statement because you know, we, it won't really go away. It stays stuck inside of us, like like a heavy feeling. It's not gonna change. It's, it is a fact that you had something and now you don't have it, whether it's your career or mm -hmm. a partner. You know, I mean, it's a fact that's not going to change. It won't change unless people have support and help um, and that they seek that help too, because that's a problem also, uh, but all, another statement is to be strong for others. So many people just want to protect their families or they don't want to, to appear weak. So they want to have that perfect image that you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, that they can you know, withstand anything. Um, and that's so isolating for most folks to, to just put themselves in that category. Um, but it is, an, again, part of what our society is, is, you know, building for us. This idea that we have to protect other people from our emotions. That's pretty scary for me. Um, and yeah. yet I get where, I think I get where that comes from because we're kind of afraid that emotions are contagious. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, that's why I, so, so while I may understand it, I still don't have to like it. And I, and I'm getting that it's not a practical approach to this whole concept of dealing with loss. Um, it's, it's not, it's not practical. And, you know, it's been ingrained in us through the years as children to, you know, children are meant to be seen and not heard. It starts right there, you know, where, you know, it's just been passed on through the generations and somehow we have, mistakenly thought that we, you know, if we express our feelings, then we're weak. There we go. That's an important statement that somehow we picked up this messaging. We picked up this mythology that if we mm -hmm. express our feelings, that means we're weak. And, you know, that's, there is this really fine line about appropriate and inappropriate expression of emotion. And so we're not talking about it's okay to spew anger and vitriol at everybody. We're right. talking about allowing yourself to have an opinion, allowing yourself to, to have an emotion and allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to seek out processes and practices that will let you move through the constricting emotions so that you don't get stuck. Because I think you're right. People get stuck in grief when they're told to go, you know, aren't you over that already? I actually heard somebody say that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, what are you afraid of? But that's the evolved me. Now I go to what did I trigger in you? Yeah. Before that, it would have just shut me down and I would have stopped talking about it. And what I know now is that if I stop talking about it, I am actually allowing it to build up pressure like a pressure cooker. Exactly. Yeah. And so, so many people do feel like they're burdening their family or they've had the same experience that you have where they just feel that, you know, 
they don't, nobody really wants to hear about it. But part of what I do is it's so important is I listen. I listen to every every feeling they have. And that's a that's something that each of us can do for one another when you know somebody's grieving. The best thing you can do is literally just listen because mm -hmm. people need to they need to expel all of those feelings. And the best that's the best gift you can give somebody is to just listen. Yeah, okay, so there we go. All right, so listening is Listening is the receiving side of what I think of as a basic human need. And that need is to feel heard. It's not to be heard, but it's to feel heard, to actually have a feedback loop so that you can feel that somebody got you, that somebody was present for you. Yeah. That's an amazing gift, Karen. Yeah. Now, I can see where all of your background plays really well together yeah. with this. Yeah. yeah. What what a what a great thing. All right. So for somebody listening to this, let's we're going to play part 1 and part 2. Okay? So part 1 is you are trying to support someone yeah. who is going through a loss. And I'm Jill. Hey, whoa. right now, we have all experienced loss. Yes. Here's what I think is the universal human experience that we're having. And so this is just the world according to Jackie. Yeah. We all got pushed out of our comfort zone without our permission. Yes. You know, it happened before. It's called birth. You know, we got pushed out of this nice, warm, dark place without our permission into this cold, noisy, bright, distracting environment. And we had gotten used to that and we had created systems and normative things and you know, we just had life. We were just busy. You know, we were just schlepping along here. We were getting by. And then along came the pandemic and we all got pushed out of our comfort zones. And I don't think anybody gave permission for this. Yeah. So let's play with this one a little bit if we've all lost our comfort zone karen what are some practical things that we can do to find our equilibrium with this loss this universal grieving right well with the the process that i use is actually you know supported by somebody who is a professional so the process that I use was discovered by the Grief Recovery Institute, and it's called the Grief Recovery Method. And that method includes first initialing, initially looking at the myths and all the things that come with grief and getting educated about grief, but then taking a look at all the losses that you've had in your life. Because when you start to look at all the losses you've sustained, you start to have compassion for yourself. And compassion is something that is lost when we're grieving, you know, to be able to feel for ourselves and, and to really be able to understand, you know, where does this come from? So that's, that's part of the process is just becoming more compassionate. The other process is to, of course, review the actual loss. And, and that's where I wanted to interject about the different kinds of losses. Um, they don't have to be um, the death of someone or the loss of a relationship, they can be intangible losses like um, 
loss of control, which is what a lot of us, of us are experience right, experiencing with COVID right now. It mm. can be um, loss of safety. It can be many different things. Any feeling that makes you feel in a negative way is in some form grief. So once you start to really review how you, how you manage your grief, and it can be with things like television, drugs or alcohol, um, mm. food, there are so many different things. You know, sometimes it's anger. We, we have outbursts towards those who love us because we can't really interpret what we're, what we're going through. So um, that's part of what I do also is to help people to identify what, what are your feelings and, and what are the behaviors that go with those feelings? Because once you start to see from a bird's eye view yourself and in, in a way that's not condemning or judging, you start to really um, look at your story and, and see that there, there is this pattern and that once you start to acknowledge it, then you can make changes, subtle changes. They're not hard. You can learn easy coping skills. I know that you feel funny about that language, but there are easy coping skills. The way we think and, and how we can change, how we perceive and think about things, that matters. And that's what I teach. And also, you know, when you start to review the actual loss, you start to see that you have had misperceptions. You know, some people um, enshrine their beloved and they'll, they'll make them a martyr. And in that way, they can't, they can't process this relationship because it's not accurate. Or they'll bedevil them and they'll make them the evil one. I suffered because of the evil one, right? And so once they start to see the relationship that's hurting them so badly in, in the correct uh, perspective, then they're able to start to complete all of those emotions and then move on from the pain that they're suffering. So the practical application, the, the steps that people can go ahead and start using. The, the first one that stuck in my head, Karen, was this idea of go ahead and write down a list of your life losses. Things yeah. you've experienced along the way, like, you know, I had pets and I've had a bunch of pets that have come through my life over the years. Yeah. And recognizing from that perspective, I do know how to process some levels of grief. So that's sort of a reassurance. It, it kind of calms me down when yeah. I think about all of the things that I've lost, like my sense of control. You know, which I went through that when I had, um, when I looked at my calendar in March and everything that I had planned out had to be taken off my calendar and reworked, reconstructed and starting over right. and nothing looked the same, but before I could start to rebuild or reconstruct even my three day event, I had to first allow myself to feel how I felt. And you know, I'm going to be honest. There are some losses that do not bring me grief. They actually brought me a great deal of joy. You know? um, I've had so, those too. Yeah. You know, so that's the other thing that I like about this concept of writing a list of life losses is because it's not one emotion fits all. It isn't. 
even change can cause grief, but mm -hmm. also change can be joyful too. And um, so it's just a matter of taking a look inside and, you know, how do you behave when you have a loss, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, um, you know, so it propels some of us into change, good change. Yeah. It can hold others back in their bond. They're like bound by the chains of their pain, mm -hmm. unable to move forward. So um, starting to look at it yourself, but it is important to have somebody to hear you too. Yeah, I, I think that that's important. I think that it's, For somebody who's stuck in grief, absolutely get professional help. Seek out someone who actually knows the processes or some process like the one that you're trained in, Karen, because it's so valuable to have a systematic way of addressing emotions that are stuck. The other side of this is if you just are feeling a little stuck and you want to just bring yourself to a different place, start with taking and writing the list. What would be the second step to a do-it-yourself approach? Pardon me? What would be a second step if somebody was going to just you know, help themselves get unstuck? So, so, you know, I really want to stress the importance of working with somebody for safety reasons, because when you're starting to do the work, um, I, I really do believe that it's important to do, you know, a lot on your own, but it's also important because these emotions start to come out when you start to evaluate yourself and you need guidance to be assessed by a professional to make sure that you're going to be safe. Okay. So we're going to break this into two groups. Okay. We're going to first have the group that is having the global experience of grief because of COVID. Yes. And then the people who are having a grief experience because of a very deep personal loss. Yes. Okay. Whether it is a child or a career or, you know, something significant, a significant yes. life event. So mine was the do it yourself for people with the global grief. And we, we also want to make sure that it's really, really clear. I'm not talking about do it yourself. If you have yes. had a life event. Right. Okay, cool. All right. Because so talking about COVID in yeah. that situation, it's, you know, the most important thing for any of us at this time is to stay connected, to mm -hmm. stay connected with groups, friends, families, um, whether it's by Zoom or by going out in social distancing. But what, for what, whatever way you choose to do it, it's the most important thing right now during COVID is to stay socially connected in one way or another. So, so in the grief process, we do tend to isolate and part of that is culturally expected and, yeah. and part of it is, is, you know, I don't know if it's um, just the contraction that can come with loss. It's good advice to stay socially connected. When it comes to, and, and boy, um, this is a hot button, I just realized for me, when it comes to reaching out to friends and family. Yeah. You know, they, it's like, use some discernment. Yes. It's, it's not just pick up the phone and dial the first number. You right. might actually want to take a look at your Rolodex. I'm dating myself with that word. Um, <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thinking it would be good for people to do some um, sorting of their lists 
so yeah. that they're reaching out to someone who they know has some emotional capacity to be supportive because not everybody does and and even those who typically do don't always have it in the moment i call them yeah <laughs> yeah but you know what jackie life is like a big huge garden and 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 as you're walking through the garden you can see a section with beautiful flowers here and different flowers there but there are gardens that need to be weeded and I think during this time with COVID, it is a time to really look inside and say, you know, who, who, who is in my life that really the relationship is, is more hurtful than helpful? Because oh, you might have right. some crabgrass? Pardon me? You might have some crabgrass growing in your garden? Yep, those weeds will get you every time. Who wants <laughs> crabgrass? So, you know, it is important that you're absolutely right. Reach out to those that you know that are able to, to be supportive. And... And another thing that people can do during COVID that helps with grief is to do for others. When you start to do for others, you take the focus off of yourself and you feel good from the action of helping others. So that's another thing that people could really do during COVID, whether it's to donate time, money, to reach out to people that you know are alone and suffering. Those actions actually help people you know, with their grief. Yeah, they do. Okay, those actions really do help people with their grief, to be able to reach out and help someone else. So we're, that's not the crabgrass we were talking about, okay? Somebody who's in your Rolodex who you could reach out and help, that's not what we were talking about with the crabgrass. Right. So it's such an important conversation, Karen. And as much work as I have done in the field of stress management, as intense as my journey has been in the last year, this mm. is still a conversation that I'm like, I've got very, very few solid places to stand when it comes to grieving. Mm. My family's um, skill set on this topic, um, have you ever heard of somebody being long suffering? Yes. Some people stay, choose to stay in their grief. My mama was long suffering. Yes. And it wasn't just, you know, grief, like you said, it has a lot of different emotions. I mean, there are like five stages, right? Well, those, those are now, it's evolving, but yes, th there are five, but they need, you know, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross did determine that that was for people who were actually transitioning out of life. So, um, but those can apply, but they're in different order. They don't have to be the way they've been okay. set up. Yeah, so, so we'll just, these are not in any order. They are totally random. People move through in and out. I got that. But, and there are five yes. that are pretty much universally accepted. That, and I get that the whole system is, is in shift because we've got a lot more data now than we did. Yes. Out of the, the five stages, let's give them to everybody and then we'll just unpack them a little bit because I think that this is a really important conversation. So what are the five stages? Because anger is the one that I was stuck on with, with the story about my mom. And right. we'll, we can use some of these things to help other, other people have this conversation. All right, so anger is one. Anger, denial. Um, you know, I don't even know them in order because I don't practice well, on that particular philosophy. Got uh, it. Okay. But, so um, 
there's anger, anger denial, um, acceptance, and you know, a couple of more, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, I get it. Okay. Um, sadness is probably in there, I would think. Depression is part of that, yes. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so th that's why I said it. this is not an area because it's been in flux that mm -hmm. I've even seen any real solid information on. That's why I was like, oh, you, I'm so happy you could come on the show because we're going to have this talk and I'm not going to know what we're talking about. Long suffering. The, the people who consciously choose to be long suffering and the people who suffer long because they don't know how to let it go or work through it. Because I don't believe you can let something like that go. It's just going to come back. Um, that's been my experience is the more I tried to let things go, the more I realized that they were attached to me somewhere because they just kept coming back. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just about knocked my keyboard off where I had stuck it. So, uh, just, yeah. Well, you know what, Jackie, I do want to address the, the, um, the longstanding griever because um, they don't even understand what the effects of their own behavior have on family and friends. They're so stuck in their own grief and their ability to see outside themselves has been lost. And, and it really causes a shift for people around them. And those people have to process grief because because of the effects from the, the, the long-standing griever. Um, they can Oh, change. got it. Yeah. All right. We're going to call that second-generation grief. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so there we go. We created a concept. I like creating concepts. All right. So when it, so this is important, and this might tag back to the conversation about crabgrass. You know, if you have someone in your world who, like my mama, Yeah was long suffering. Um, and, and here's what long suffering looks like. Um, my parents divorced when I was six. They'd been, they were married for, oh, I don't know, probably close to 17 years. That's um, what I remember. When I was in my forties, okay. Mm -hmm. So they've been divorced over 30 years at this point. Yeah. My dad was driving through the part of the country where my mom lived and he called her up and said, you know, hey, fellas, I'm just driving through. Haven't, we haven't seen her talk since, yeah. you know, for years since the last kid got married. You know, would you like to have a cup of coffee? Remember, they've been divorced over 30 years. Right. And my mama said, if you're ready to apologize. Mm. My dad took a detour and did not have that cup of coffee but because 30 years later she was still emotionally attached to an action of somebody else and that's for me is like grief because we can get really emotionally attached to something that cannot be changed because it's a fact yeah well you know part of my program is helping to people helping people to identify um who they need to apologize to who, who, who they want to forgive them, but then the acknowledgement statements of, you know, um, my feelings are not dependent upon another person's actions. So, and once they let go, and, and that's really precisely what we work on throughout the seven weeks, is letting go of resentment, anger, expecting others to behave a certain way, and then 
you know, having unresolved feelings of resentment because that didn't occur. So that is the most important thing because when we hold anger and, and resentment and all of those things in our, in our spirit for that length of time, it's like a black mark. And, but when you start to teach people that if the, the best gift they can give themselves is to forgive those they feel have tortured them. And there is a way, there's a method that I, that I work with people doing. And, and there is a way to get past that. Changing perception, that's what people need. So we're going to flip the conversation because one of the, the, I mean, all of this is really solid information and the processing of grief in and of itself. And we promised, what is the practical side of grief? You know, how does this knowledge about what grief is, how does this practi practically apply? How do we apply this? In, I'll get it. How do we apply this in a practical way? There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, you know, we can apply this in a practical way because, um, you know, therapy is great. It's, it, it offers a person the opportunity to be heard and express themselves. But when you actually seek out something that is not, you know, that, that kind of, it's, I, I don't want to say forces you to, to look at it, but uses an actual method to process through in, in increments so that you can come out on the other side. The biggest thing is trying to get people to reach out, to try to pull themselves out of the depths of despair and reach out, you know, trying to get, if, I'm sure you know people like your mom who you wished they, they could have just reached out for a practical solution, right? But they, they can't. And we can offer to help, but the, the ultimate decision is for the griever to, to make that move. And, and that's really, really important. So here's a really practical application of this. If I was thinking about my mom, because the assumption that my mom wanted to let go of that, mm, probably not true. I right. think that, that this was just what she was comfortable with. Yeah, and exactly. There's a self-righteousness that was mm -hmm. just, she was very comfortable with, with that. The impact that it had on me, on the other hand, yeah. is one that, I could have probably used help earlier than I got help for my grieving process. So the journey is one of accepting, using this concept of just accepting them for being who they are and getting the skills that I need to move on with my life, allowing yeah. them not to have to change. And understanding that you're not responsible for another's grief process. We're mm. only responsible for our own grief process. So that takes a lot of the burden off when I explain that to people. You know, it does. It's really important that people understand that other people have life choices just as we do. And if they are comfortable in that grief, it, it's frustrating to watch someone you love just sit in despair. Um, but it's also, it's helpful to understand that that's their choice. So it's not our responsibility to fix it or change it. And that's important. It is not our responsibility to fix or change anyone who's outside of our own skin. Yes. The but person it is, inside my skin is enough. Right. And it is important, obviously, if you see somebody that is at risk for suicide, you want to get them the appropriate help or call the suicide prevention line. 
um, but we're talking about a chronic, you know, grief situation. And, and that's really true. And, and so I'm going to just touch on that for just a second, because what we're talking about is a grief situation. Um, what we were talking about, you know, with or in other segments and what we're going to be talking about with other things. And yes. there's the, if you're in the United States and North America, there's an 800 number, save it to your phone under the word help, just in case you never know who you may run into who needs that. The reality is that this is not the normal conversation. Rarely will someone say to you that, you know, they are, at, or that you will notice, trust me, that you'll notice. And the risk factors are so diverse, so dispersed, so varied, and there's not a good checklist, which is why we're having these conversations because it's not about a checklist. It's about trusting your gut yeah. and learning how to have a conversation that matters in a way that honors everyone. So for this conversation, we're talking about grief and the way to have a conversation. If I've got someone in my life, Karen, who yeah. is going through a life change, they've had a loss, they're struggling emotionally with emotional regulation. There's a big word. We're going to call this, they're not exactly stable, Mabel. You know, <laughs> let's... <laughs> what would be a good way to broach the conversation with them to see if they're receptive about having a conversation with someone like you? Well, the most important thing to do when you're starting a conversation with someone is to try to show compassion and non-judgment because the griever feels that they're being judged all the time when they express themselves. And, you know, when you start to show, because, you know, for instance, say a child of a parent, maybe you experience this, you feel angry at them. Why can't you stop this? Why, you know, why can't you just be like every other parent? Or, you know, if you approach somebody with anger or any negative emotion, um, you're not going to be helpful to that person. But if you okay, approach rule somebody, number one, yeah. check your own emotion. Exactly. Your own triggers can actually, um, you know, just waylay the, the conversation. But it's, you know, when you start out with compassion, and All say, right. you know, and you want to say to them, honestly, I may not know exactly how you feel, because that's another thing people feel. You don't know what I'm feeling. And to tell you the truth, grief is unique. It's individual. For, it's, it's different for everyone. So I usually, when I'm speaking with somebody that is having difficulty, express that I don't really know what your particular feelings are. I've had my own, but I want to acknowledge and honor yours. Okay, so step, step one is check your emotion. Step yes. two is check your language. Yes. Start with acknowledging that you do not know what they're going through. No. That's the opposite of what most people do because they think that it's comforting if you could say, I've been there, honey. And it, what, you're, what I'm hearing from you is that that's not helpful because you really haven't been there. Their, their grief is their grief, not yours. You know, we are unique individuals, but the next step would definitely be, you know, it's really important, again, that people just listen. Just listen. Please tell me about how you're feeling. I really want to know. And you if know? that statement's not true, don't start the conversation. Right. 
if it's not true that you have the capacity to listen and that you really want to know, don't start the conversation. Seek someone that you can get some intervention work with. Exactly. Because a lot of times if it's someone we love, we want to fix it. Mm -hmm. We want to say, mm, you should do this, you should do that, you should do, you know what, the best gift you can give somebody is just to hear what they're saying. It's important. Yeah. And if you don't have the capacity to listen, get some help from somebody who does. Yeah. I'm going to say this is a good time to bring in a third party. You know, have a three-way conversation so that there's more capacity. And you yeah. can practice the art of silence. Yes. Not my strong suit, but I'm working on it. <laughs> well, we, we all have difficulty because we want to interject. But, um, you know, it's just the, you know, listening to somebody, but also at the end saying, I just want you to know that I've heard what you've told me and um, I'm here. And how can I help? Because sometimes people know how they can get help, but they're stuck. They're stuck in the emotion. The act of cleansing themselves, cleaning their soul is, is actually, it lifts them so that they can, when you say to them, how can I help? What, what do you, you know, what do you feel that I can do to help you? Got um, it. It, that's it, it, it that's gives them an opportunity. They, that's when a lot of people will come out and actually say, you know what? I really believe I need professional help, but I'm so tired and so fatigued from this grief and so numb and lost. I can't do it myself. Well, that's the opportunity that we need to have so that we can help them. That's when you can actually, you know, just take a moment, find a professional. So I'm going to just put this, this is a beautiful three-step process. And I'm going to say this has an order to it. Unlike that hot mess we were talking about a few minutes ago, this actually has an order because what I think I've been experiencing most of my life is people who start with step three. And the first thing they do is ask, how can I help you? Yes. Not helpful. Not mm -hmm. helpful. So step one is, you know, check your own I emotions. I don't know what you're feeling. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, checking my own emotion before I start anything. Yes. And then I don't know what you're feeling. Compassion, non-judgment. Yeah. So that's really, really key. Yes. I think that if people get these in the right order where you check your emotional state before you start the conversation, make sure that you're in a place of self-compassion, that you're calm. Yes. And then engage with them from this place of, I don't know what you're feeling. Mm -hmm. invite them to talk. I'd really like to hear what's true for you. Yes. And after they're done talking, then asking the question, and you asked it two different ways, which I really, really like. It was, I've heard you. I'm here. How can I help? Or what do you feel that I mm -hmm. could do that would help? Yes. And even though at that point, those who were grammarians are going to say, but we're not really asking them to feel at that point. We're asking them what they think. But yeah. our language is a little bit trippy here. Yes. So you might as well use whatever words they use and not worry about the precision and go more with the process of just being connected with someone. Yes, exactly. It's just, you know, people just need somebody to be with them. Right. And... Um, it's the biggest thing we could do for people 
is to just be, and the, you know, when, when you're asking these questions of someone, it gives them control. It gives them, it puts the ball back in their court where they, before they were feeling so helpless, all of a sudden now they're like, oh, okay, you know, I, I have part in this process, you know? Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Okay. So I'll tell you what we're going to do. We are going to um, finish this by buttoning it up for everyone. We started the conversation with your statement that grief is rampant. Yes, it is. And it is. It, it absolutely is. And whether we're talking about life event grief or whether we're talking about just the global grief because we've all experienced losses. If you want more conversations with Karen, you can reach out to her at her website. We're going to have that for you. We'll have everything you need into the show notes. So you don't have to worry about it. So whether you're listening to this, you know, it is a really simple website. It's compassionategriefrecovery.com. But don't worry about trying to write it down, especially if you're driving. Don't do that. So, um, so don't worry. We'll have that in the notes for you. And it's super simple to reach out and to find Karen. And as always, Karen, what a lovely conversation. Thank you so very much for being so much. willing to come on. I'm so, I'm so grateful to you, Jackie. I just want you to know that for all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we could keep this going for a little while, but mwah. all right, everyone, hang tight. Come back soon.